When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Barca Talk, we continue our rewatchable series as we break down the Clásico from the 2006-2007 La Liga season. This classic game is marked by three goals by each side, and more importantly, Messi's first hat-trick. As always, we discuss the players that made the game special, nostalgic moments, and analyze the goals. Hello and welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Gabriel Quiroga, your host in Madrid, Spain. We are doing another rewatchable of... FC Barcelona games, and today we'll be talking about the second Clásico during the 2006-2000 season, and with me to talk about this game is one of our new members from Seattle, Washington, Cole Ridley. Cole, how are you doing, buddy? You know, I'm doing okay. Quarantine is treating me well so far. There was uh, snow last night, but today's a bright blue sunny day, so it's just crazy over here. Yeah, you know, that's the funny thing is that here in Madrid, we've been having crazy weather too, because on Sunday it snowed as well. Like, we had some light snow and again, I just can't believe it. You know, it's obviously we're recording today on April, but, you know, last week was March, end of March, and we just don't get that kind of weather. And I would say luckily for us here in Madrid, we haven't had great weather. Mm-hmm. So the quarantine has been a little bit easier that way because you're not yearning to go out to the terraces and have beer, for example. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say, too. When there's snow on the ground, it's easy to to be outside or when it's pouring rain, you know, fine, I'll stay inside. I'll watch Netflix all day. But when it's sunny and you have to stay inside, it is it is so hard. For sure. And, and I'm just ripping through Netflix. You know, I was telling my friend, you know, I'm asking for recommendations. I'm more of a movie person than a TV series. Mm-hmm. And I was just making fun with my friend. I was like, I'm just trying to like finish Netflix, you know, at this <laughs> point, because it's just like so many movies, right? Like I work during the day. Mm-hmm. I finish around 630. And then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Work out, okay. And then it's movie time. And it's I'm just ripping through these movies. I haven't seen anything good this past week. I can't recommend anything. And so I'm always looking for recommendations. Do you have any recommendations for me? I don't have a recommendation of a movie. I do have a television series that is new. Um, mm-hmm. the, the English Game. It's about the, okay. the dawn of football and, and takes place in England. It's all surrounded. Or it's all focused on the FA Cup and when there was – working teams and working sides that weren't being paid to play and that sort of thing. Yeah. I just saw last night they were showing here uh, the young Slatan documentary. So they basically had a documentary of him in Malmo when he was like 19 years old Mm -hmm. going to Juventus, basically that trajectory. And it was pretty interesting because you can just see, you know, the arrogance that was placed there. And I think that was the only thing I've seen that I would recommend, you know, as, as a football fan, I think that's a good one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Alejandro recommended me some other things, but again, I've just been YouTubing and Netflix, and that's pretty much all you can do right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so after the break, we're going to dive right into this game. All right, so Cole, we're breaking down this Clásico from the 2006-2000 season, which was pretty volatile because Real Madrid were the eventual La Liga champions, and it really just came down to the Clásicos, essentially. And this match was took place on March 10, 2007. It was obviously against Real Madrid and the Camp Nou, and the final score was 3-3. Now, I like asking you and Alejandro for your input on these things. So why did you pick this game? 
I picked this game, I think that in a moment where a lot of us are kind of struggling to just go about our day-to-days, it would be nice to get uh, an episode in where we're focusing about something that gives us hope and this being, you know, people don this as the Lionel Messi match, this is where it all kicked off. And so this could be something that we look forward to again, seeing Messi play on the pitch again and, and at his best. Yeah, and this is the thing is that, you know, in this season, you know, Messi was injured and he just came off from injury coming into this game. And this is, you know, this is his first hat trick, right? Mm-hmm. So this is awe-inspiring, right? Because first hat trick and it's in the Classico, right? And not only that, but we were a man down, you know, for most of the match. And yeah. so that's the other great feat of this. We were talking before we recorded that you were too young to see this live. But, you know, during the past years, have you revisited this highlight? Have you revisited this match? Early last summer, I believe, I kind of went through a kick and watched all these games that maybe I was too young to watch and wanted to watch them in full. And then I, I had started it during this quarantine and went through a bunch of other matches as well. So this was definitely one that stood out. Just like you said, the magnitude of this match and the way that he announced himself to the world, you know, you can't get any larger than that. It was his third appearance against Madrid overall. Yeah, it's crazy. And Obviously, this was the lightning rod of the legend, basically, mm-hmm. right? I mean, these type of moments and games. Now, I watched this game live, and I was telling you before, this is kind of the infancy of really when I really started watching Barcelona in and every weekend, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had the channel at home, so I was able to watch it. And I always knew for classicals I was going to watch it. And this match, too, again, you know, how we would talk about on the West Coast, these matches are during the day. And so I just remember watching this match on the couch, obviously by myself, because my roommates didn't care about football at all. And so I just remember watching this and just being awe, right, of this messy guy. Because this is also, you know, pre-internet gossip mm-hmm. of sports worldwide with YouTube and so forth. So you, I've heard of Messi, right, and I've, you know, from the Olympics and all these different things before. Mm-hmm. But then actually to see him live, especially in this big match against Real Madrid, was just awesome. And I just remember wow, I can't believe this guy is 19 years old. <laughs> mm-hmm. hey, he looks like a kid out there, and he was a kid. Oh, my gosh. The way, yeah. that, the way that he would go about, and he still had these these antics where he'd get in frustration and he'd have these moments where you could just see, you know, he's young, he's learning, he, the chemistry isn't there yet, he's not the leader of this team yet. Um, so watching that is really funny because just in hindsight, we're like, wow, you know, there was a point where he didn't control the match just you know, off the ball. Yeah, I mean, in this match, you can definitely see the physicality, right? Mm -hmm. The way Real Madrid players were able to kind of physically dominate him for the most part, you know, especially in the air and just pushing him off the ball. Now, let's get into our first category, and that is the news before the match. So you have here, you did a great job on this mock-up here. Uh, Both Madrid and Barca were both knocked out of the Champions League earlier that week. Yeah, that that was a big talking point, and I remember a lot of articles that I kind of did a deep dive in to look for what was going on about these two clubs at the time of this match. That was the big one, is they both went out. It was a huge letdown. They definitely didn't meet their expectations in Europe, so this was massive match now because it was going to decide La Liga or what we thought um, at the time and Barca were one point off from the top of the table when this game kicked off Madrid were five points back they were sitting in fourth so there was a lot of the line here yeah definitely and the other thing too you know I would say that you know Madrid were definitely more uh, bigger favorites in the Champions League than Barcelona because again this is the right guard area right Mm -hmm. and era and so essentially we were hoping for good results, but we were still off. And you can tell in this match, you know, especially with 
Iniesta, Iniesta and Xavi, you know, they still were at full potential because it wasn't unlocked, right? Mm-hmm. And also just the formation and what was going on. So I think it was a bigger blow, especially for Madrid than Barcelona, but obviously that leading up to the Clásico is never a good way to lead up. Mm-hmm. Now, the next one you have here was the table, right? So the three players in this at this moment were Sevilla, Madrid, and Barca, right? So Sevilla were on top by one, mm-hmm. and like you said, Madrid down by five. But the crazy thing, after all this, Madrid wins the league. They do, yeah, it, in dramatic fashion. They they somehow pulled it off. You know, we thought that this match, us being down a man for forty five minutes, and we fought back each time. We were down one, down one, down one, and we thought, well, you know, we fought back in this match. We took a point, you know, home with us to the next weekend, and you know, it was ours to lose, and it obviously didn't go that way. Yeah, this is the thing that under Reichardt, we were just so inconsistent. You know, we would have flashes of three games, and then all of a sudden we would lose two, you know, for example, mm-hmm. maybe due to injury or just lack of tactics and so forth. And again, this just came down to head-to-head, you know. Madrid won the first one 2 nothing. We tied. We ended up with the same points because it's mm-hmm. funny. Before I knew it was head to set, head, I was looking at the total points. And I was like, wow, our goal differential is much better. And I look and it's like head to head first. And I was like, uh, Newman. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. let's go to the next one. Uh, Messi was returning from injury. Uh, yeah, he missed a couple, you know, not a couple, a lot of matches, 18, due mm-hmm. to a metatarsal fracture. So essentially, you know, he was unable to walk, right? This is one of the bones in your bone that helped us kind of help you support your foot. You break it, even though it's a, you know, they, they say minor break, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it still hurts, especially if you're running all the time. So, again, it's crazy to know that after 18 games, he comes and puts in this performance. Yeah. And, you know, for a footballer, anything on your feet, you know, it's not 100%. You're not 100%. And he did miss 18 matches, but he did have seven to kind of regain his form back. He, he got a lot of matches back under his belt returning from injury he wasn't quite up to full speed so this was the game that he announced you know hey i'm i'm back to good i can do this this is this is going to be me yeah for you know it's funny because all the i guess the lack of support for Rykard, the one thing he did do well was implement messi mm-hmm. he knew that messi was a star player in the making and he knew he could just ride him and he would be safe for another year essentially and again, you have some of the stats lining up before this match, so why don't you give it to us? Yeah, um, Messi up to this point, this was, like I said earlier, his third appearance against Real Madrid overall in his career. He had one assist in the league match in the previous campaign. I think it was at the Camp Nou, if I remember correctly. Um, and then the other interesting note is if you look at the tables from the home uh, home table, where it's just their performances based on the clubs that were playing matches as the home side, Barca were up top, Madrid were below 12th i think they were 13 or 14th so this was a massive difference because on the flip side on the away end or the away table madrid were flying high and barca were they weren't quite as low as madrid on in comparison but there was definitely this match of okay barca's the best at home madrid is absolutely dominating on the road so this was this is as juicy as a classico could get back then when we didn't have messi we didn't have this ronaldo rivalry this this was the biggest one, especially because Barca had just won the Champions League the year before, you know, this was kind of turning the wheels again, trying to trying to get Barca to leapfrog over Madrid and overtake them and trophies and status and all. Yeah, it's a good point. And again, th- this this era is so weird to me because of the inconsistency, not only by Barcelona, but by Madrid, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was watching this match, you know, watching all the Galacticos that they had on the team, you know, essentially, uh, this was like Galacticos part two, you know, and... 
again, they had an all-star coach in Capello there too as well. And, you know, he was much respected for his tactical vision and discipline and so forth. Madrid did not embody that at all, you know, and that's the crazy thing. I mean, he had a two-year spin, I think, or even less than that, and he was out, you know. Mm -hmm. And so for both teams, they were trying to find their identity, and you can see it in this match, right? I mean, this match, like, it was one of the most entertaining classicals, rewatchables that I've seen in a while, right? It's just going back and forth, star players, Mm -hmm. tension, red card, and more tension. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, if you look at the team sheets, and I think we're about to dive into the starting lineups in a second, but there's just a lot of players that you don't recognize. And and you maybe just think to yourself like, wow, they, if this was considered, you know, two of the best sides in in Spain at the time, and they just really didn't take off from there. They didn't continue to make a name for themselves or they were gone. And then on the flip side, there was all these guys that were just building their legacy. If they were just starting, they'd they were just beginning to announce themselves to the world. Yeah, let's dive in. Let's get into double take. Yeah, so we'll take a look at the lineups. So for the lineups for Barcelona, we had Eto, Ronaldinho, Messi up top. We had Deco, Marquez, Iniesta, Xavi. And then Puyol, Turam, Olegaur, and Valdez. Valdez with hair. And then Madrid. <laughs> Madrid had Iguain, Valnisteroy, Raul, Diara, Gago, and Guti. And then in the back, they had Torres, Helguera, Ramos, Salgado, and then Casillas in goal. So, Cole. Double take. Anyone right off the bat that you do a double take in the starting 11? Not exactly. Uh, looking at the bench at the time, I think the only other thing that Barca could have done is played with a 4-3-3. They could have had a right back um, with Puyol or Belletti could have came in and slid in there. Slovenio could have played on the left. So, so there wasn't really a whole lot. I think this is pretty consistent with what Rijkaard was doing leading up until this match. It was pretty consistent for the second half of this year. So this is this is in March, so about three years into this 4-3, excuse me, 3-4-3 formation. Nothing really surprising for me. How about you? Yeah, I think the only one, I mean, when I, you know, obviously this is the lineup he was using. But when I look back at this team, I just look at Olegauer and say, who? <laughs> like, <laughs> He gets the red card in this match. Yep. I don't really remember him. I had to Google him and just kind of find out who he was. And I just – it just draws a blank to me, you know, because he he was on the team, yes. And he yeah. was a starter and he played a bunch of matches. But when I look at this lineup, that's the first person. The other person too is the substitute, Good Johnson. Mm-hmm. Man, I forgot about that guy. Yeah. Like when he came into the game when I was watching, I was like, what? Yeah. Like the Swede, right? Is he Swedish? I think he, he's Swedish. He's uh, – Icelandic? Uh, Icelandic? Yeah, yeah. Icelandic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so when he came in, it's just header, 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 header. We were just <laughs> long, you know, long balls galore. Yeah. And so that was a double take for me. Anyone on Madrid that does a double take for you? Not really. Um, this, the, I think the only name that was on the bench that maybe we can associate with some sort of you know future is Marcelo, but he was brand new. I think that was his first season there, so it makes sense why he wouldn't play. Um, maybe Rabinho not being in there, um, but he was obviously he replaced Raúl just after halftime, I believe. So that that could have been something that maybe Capello got wrong. Maybe he he went with the veteran and should have had more flair on the right flank. Man, he did not like Rubinho. I mean, no. he reluctantly put him in the match and. In the commentating, they kept calling him bicicleta, which means the bicycle, right? Because he kept doing that bicycle move Mm -hmm. three times too many, right? And that's all he would do. And when I think of Robinho, you know, I think of the talent that he had. But in this upper echelon where the defense is that much better, you know, this is the same thing I come across with comparing him to Vinicius right now Mm -hmm. is you have one move, but you have to develop more. And Robinho just annoyed me when he came into the match. i was like oh 
this guy didn't scare me. Like, I yeah. knew he was not going to really score a big goal against Barcelona, maybe against lower teams. Yeah. But against the better talent, he's not going to be able to do it. No, he didn't have that quite that that confidence and the skill to do it on a, on a stage like this. Um, fun fact for you. Do, do you, okay. true or false, do you think Rabinho is, is still playing football professionally to this oh, day? Oh, that's true. That's definitely true. <laughs> Isn't that wild? He's 36. <laughs> it's, it blows my mind. He hasn't been in a top five league since 2015, and he's still playing. Where is he playing? He is playing, I'm going to butcher this, but Basaketshir in the Super League in Turkey. Oh, Besiktas. No, not Besiktas. Maybe. No, no. no it, not, yeah, not different, different side, yeah. Oh, okay. it, it, it looks I'm, similar, but yeah. I mean, this is the thing is that, you know, Robinho in that era was touted as such a high-priced player. He was. And then flared out, right? I mean, this is what happens to a lot of strikers, especially from Brazil, because they just produce so much talent. Yep. Now let's go into our another – that's a good fun fact, by the way. <laughs> uh, let's go into another category about the tactics and formation. Now, Reichardt was uh, experimenting with this. He was uh, using a 3-4-3. Three, three. Like you said, maybe they could have gone with a 4-3-3 three, three to be more defensive-minded. Mm-hmm. I think they should have because when I look at this lineup, especially with the lineup, Marquez for me was the flaw mm. in this lineup mm. because I think he tried to do long ball too much. Yeah. And he was a defensive liability a couple of times where you would think that he would be better. Mm-hmm. And I just think we would have been more solid with a flat four. What say you? Uh, you know what? I actually disagree. I agree with the point that he was the flaw defensively because he was always in a position that he wasn't maybe accustomed to then playing a defensive role in. Obviously, you know what he meant in the back line for Barcelona and many other teams later on in his career. But back in this match specifically, he would drop between the defenders, but he wasn't acting as that that holding midfielder, definitely the deepest midfielder of the four line. Um I think that I, I agree, though. This this three four three didn't really mesh well. There was a lot of confusion. I thought that there was a lot of picking the ball up deep from Xavi Iniesta, um, especially Marquez, and kind of dribbling out wide instead of up f- forward. And there wasn't a whole lot of support. I think that any time any of the midfielders had to turn around and they were forced to make a back pass and it was going to Turam or Olegar, they were just, just oh, please control this ball guys <laughs> like they, it just yeah. felt like they had no confidence in, in playing the ball around the back again and, and switching the side yeah with this four midfield system i would have thought they would have had less counterattacks on them and it was quite the opposite i mean i take out the you know the part with the 10 men i'm just talking the first half when we still had the full 11 mm-hmm. we were going up and down you know because we still didn't have that possessive complete style even though we did win the possessive battle but marcus to me I think he would have been better on the fat, flat four back helping with Puyol or beca- because I just don't think of him as a really highly touted midfielder to be making those line passes going through the middle. You know, mm-hmm. I think he has other attributes that we could have used. Do you have you have here Ronaldinho and Eto? Now, I would agree with this sentiment. They use this term all the time here in Spain. They say enchufado, which means plugged in, mm-hmm. literally plugged in. When I watch this match, Ronaldinho is completely enchufado. Like he is in the game, mm-hmm. mentally strong, mm-hmm. pairing up well with Eto and Messi. And you can just see if this guy would have just kept it this way, who knows what his football career would have been. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because they did they went back and forth on that left flank and then up top. But 
that connection between Ronaldinho and Eto'o, the whole match was very, they had a lot of one-twos, a lot of chances would create, and that's how they would move up the pitch. And it's interesting because we definitely associate Messi being a part of that tandem. But this was maybe the match, maybe one of the last few ones where he wasn't quite there. Um, And I think another interesting note to throw in there is when Rijkaard started Ronaldinho, Eto'o, and Messi, they had never lost a match in La Liga from that campaign in the previous one. They they had never lost a match when those three started. There was a lot of pressure on these three to perform and to keep that that uh, record driving. I don't know if this is something they knew about or maybe it was just in the press, but for Rijkaard to decide those three up top and the way that he set up the midfield, it really seemed like he was going to let those three work their magic and that they did. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's two things, like you said, going into that. I think Ronaldinho had supreme confidence in Messi. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, when your star player has confidence in the younger guy, you can just see that Messi was playing with a lot of confidence right from the beginning. He wasn't uh, afraid, you know, essentially what happens with highly touted player. Mm -hmm. The other thing, too, is just like you said, imagine if Messi plays nine of those games that he missed of 18, do they get even more points and then run away with La Liga? Yeah, that, that's definitely something to think about. And like the Ronaldinho, the confidence, I just love the image when him and Eto play that one-two and Ronaldinho's shot gets blocked by Casillas and Messi smashes it into the top of the net. Ronaldinho just fist pumps like five yeah. or six times. He is just so overwhelmed by you know this i i knew i'm gonna carry us here i don't care if i'm putting it in the net i know these other guys around me can do this job they can they can be that finishing touch for us and that's just so uplifting and it's exciting yeah yeah, because in this moment he's the best player in the world absolutely hands down i mean yeah you come and run from the champions league Mm -hmm. the year before and and he's at the peak of his powers essentially Mm -hmm. now let's go into you know our favorite midfield of xavi and iniesta yeah uh, as the commentators were calling him, uh, Javi, Humphrey Rogart. I don't know if you caught that in, in your translation. <laughs> no. They kept calling him Humphrey Humphrey. Uh, so we we saw that they were obviously – they're young. Mm-hmm. They're full of life. They got their whole life ahead of them mm-hmm. essentially in this game. <laughs> but you can still see the infancy of what was going to happen. And it was still lacking. I mean we still didn't have that connection maybe because we were lacking Busquets and the messy part of it. Mm-hmm. You know That could be one thing. But also, they did stand out. I remember a bunch of times just the height comparison between the Madrid players and yep. Javi Iniesta, and how many times did Javi Iniesta win the ball? Mm-hmm. And how many times did they send a Madrid defender for a hot dog? I mean, so many times <laughs> they turn their back, and you know, all of a sudden they're going back up the field. And so many times we saw them drifting back, just like they did in their peak of their careers. But doing it when they're so young, it, it's like you know. It's that same feeling with Messi. In hindsight, you're just like, wow, if they only knew at that moment what they were about to do and w- the moves that they had and the skills and how brilliant they were with the, the game of football, how mentally above they were the rest of the world. Yeah, definitely. And I remember a couple of times where, you know, Iniesta or Javi would shield the ball and the Madrid defender would try to physically impose them mm-hmm. and they couldn't get it. Nope. And then they would just shoo off or they would have to foul. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's just the funny part. So good. Um, let's get into the key stats of this game. So for Barcelona, they had 59% possession. Madrid had 41%. Shots on target. Uh, Barca had 18 with 9 on target. And Madrid 13 with 7 on target. I mean, this stat is crazy. 23 fouls for each team. Four saves for Barca. Yeah. Six for Madrid. 
three yellows, one red for Barca, and five yellows for Madrid. And one of them could have been yeah. a red there too, you know? So oh, what stat pops out for you? <laughs> what stat pops out for what me? Stat? Man, I think all yeah. of them. This this whole yeah. thing is it's crazy. It definitely doesn't tell the game very well. I think the fouls is pretty no. accurate. I, this was a very physical match. Actually, no, I'll take that back. I think the fouls on the Madrid side is very accurate. But to, to imagine there was 23 fouls um, against or on Madrid. That that kind of that surprises me a little bit. Um, the other thing is that, that yellow card on Barca that should be two yellow cards and no red <laughs> because that yeah, Olegar yeah. tackle for the uh, the PK. Well, we'll we'll, we'll dive into that. That is that is yeah, some yeah, that interesting interesting yeah, call. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the stat that pops out for me is two. The fouls, just like you said, mm-hmm. but also the possession because Madrid was playing a man up for the majority of the second half mm-hmm. and. That still shows me that, okay, Barca still had the DNA of possession in their game, mm-hmm. but we weren't able to string things because we were a man down. But still, that's still such a crazy stat. But also, Madrid wasn't really interested in possession. I mean, they really never are. Mm-hmm. And in this match, they knew that they were faster than us. So they were always trying to go long ball and more direct on the counter. So, yeah. So, again, we, we, we're going to talk about that yellow card on Oligar. But, yeah, that's it. So let's go into the next category, uh, nostalgic corner. Yeah, let's let's visit. So, what's your first nostalgic corner point? My my nostalgic corner it, it's going to be this. I'm going to call an audible, and we can edit this if not. But um, my nostalgic corner first part is going to be Lionel Messi's first touch of the match. Valdez boots a ball up, probably 40 yards out, and Messi just controls it. He, he doesn't even take a second touch. He just easily drops it back to Oligar. Turam, whoever was on that right side. And just, you know, to see he had that skill and that ability um, back then, you know, it's, it's refreshing. It, it's all these things that I've already repeated. I can't say it enough. Just I felt like that touch had so much swagger to it. It had so much, yeah, I'm about to take over. You know, give me a year and, you know, this is what I'm capable of. I mean, he didn't do that just once. No, he, did he didn't. A couple times. And yeah, and the, and the commentators even noticed that they – he, again, Valdez did another long ball on the flank on the right side, mm-hmm. and he just headed it down perfectly with the right amount of pace mm-hmm. and you know pressure that like it just laid perfectly. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, "Oh my god, his first touch is magic!" It's, yeah. it's so it's wild. It is. Yeah, I don't know if I ever told you this, but the first time I saw Barca in person, mm-hmm. uh, I saw Dani Alves and Messi warm up together, and. I'm telling you, I was speechless after yeah. this. They were doing 30-yard long balls without the ball touching the yeah. ground. They would just bring it, hit it up again. And I was just – my friend's like, what's wrong with you? I said, <laughs> that is so hard to do. Yeah. And to even do it within 10 feet of each other, let alone 30 yards, then they were just pinging it off each other. So talking about that first-touch swagger, he's had it then. He'll have it now and he'll have it forever. So. Yeah. Let's go on to the next one. What's your next nostalgia corner? Um, my next one is Iniesta. This is when he was beginning to show us to the world, and he was just gliding across the pitch. I mean, he was so smooth the way he would turn his shoulder or dip his shoulder, and boom, he's gone. Like you said, Madrid was trying to be very physical in this match, and Iniesta and Xavi just weren't having it. They, you know, they would say, "Yeah, you can do that. That's fine. I'm absolutely not going to win you in a header. I'm not going to be able to contest it for a loose ball as well." But I have this these touches i have the ability to shake you and i have the ability to to get rid of you i have the ability to move the ball a lot quicker than you you know just the way that they were controlling that game in such a in such a second like backseat driving kind of way you know yeah 
I think that's a good point because, again, like you said, they knew that Madrid was more physical, but they knew that Madrid couldn't go through them to get the ball. And so they used their bodies so well to de- defend the ball, guard it, and then pass properly, which is such a hard skill to do. Yeah. All right, so we have another one. Marquez in midfield. We both we both have our opinions. I think we disagree <laughs> on this. Again, I I just, you know, I know Marquez was a long-term player for Barca, but I still didn't think he was good enough to be in the starting. I know mm-hmm. he had some good moments with Barca, but I just thought there were other players either in La Masia or free agents that we could have got that would have upgraded that position. Again, when I was watching this match, I just cannot stand long balls with no intention. And Marquez did that often in this mm-hmm. match. So that's kind of my bias towards this. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that maybe Marquez could have been more helpful in the back line of this match. Um, who knows if that was really something that Reichard or Marquez was even aware of at the time that he would become that center half key role. But there was a lot of questionable passes. And I think that his movement was probably best in this game. But there was times that just didn't really make any sense. The passing or, you know, the way he would set up against Madrid's um, build up play, you know, it just he would give open lanes because he would take that rather than dribbling around and, and so forth. Yeah, I just think he would have been better playing in the back four as a you know a center back because then he wouldn't have to feel that he would have to play make mm-hmm. or try to drive the play forward as much. I mean, how many times did he try to go to Ronaldinho on that corner? Yeah, I mean, so many times, and he was less than fifty percent accurate connecting with him you know and so that's all i'm saying because those are just counterattacks that go the other way that's all i'm looking at yeah yeah now let's talk about the ronaldinho eto tandem like we just said ronaldinho was at the peak of his powers at this time when i'm watching this match it's not only the speed but also the tenacity the power that he has and every time he's at the edge of the box not only the the crowd senses it you sense it Mm -hmm. the commentators that something magical is going to happen so again this tandem was Really, just at, you know, at the peak of their powers, essentially in this in this season, mm-hmm. they, the way they had the ability and the chemistry to do a one-two, and they could involve um, Iniesta or Deco on that left side, and they could make it a three-part system, or they'd have Chavi go up through the center and play it back to another man. This was the peak of that relationship between the two. I think the peak of Eto and Ronaldinho for sure. So watching that again reminded me. I, I saw a, an interesting kind of post everyone's trying doing their best during this quarantine time you know what player have you refallen in love with watching replays and for me it's Eto. just the he he was so skillful but he was such a lethal striker at the same time you know he, he had the footwork he had the speed and the agility to really make things happen and sometimes you just kind of forget that you think of more just a, you know he, he gets the ball in the box it's it's over but he had a lot more to him yeah it's a good point and again i just want i enjoyed watching these two because you can just see the power, the speed, you know, the chemistry, the passing, and also just everything you would ever want in a tandem. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the last one, my favorite. Yeah. Victor Valdez's hair. <laughs> I mean, that is that is on fire in this in this match. You could have put orange and yellow hair dye in it. Someone would have ran out there with an extinguisher, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because when you think of Victor Valdez, you think of the clean-shaven Mr. Clean look. Mm-hmm. And in this match, he hasn't done that yet. So it's just funny to see. And obviously also Casillas. Casillas' hair is also out of – he's got the rat tail going on. Yeah. And both of them are really young and they just got this – you know, early 2000s hairstyle going on. <laughs> Definitely either one of them could have been in a, a boy band that only made, uh, you know, a state tour instead of a <laughs> nationwide tour for sure. 
All right, let's go into our – I added this category a little bit because I love talking about commentators. Yeah. We're going to call this the Dick Stockton commentator <laughs> corner. So for people who don't know Dick Stockton, Dick Stockton is a longtime uh, broadcaster in sports in the U.S. He was really good in the 90s, early 2000s, but obviously he's older now and he's lost that fastball. So we're going to talk about the commentator in this match from the replay I saw, which was the Spanish version from La Sexta. So here in Spain, they used to show it on public TV. And this is kind of the last years, Cole, when they were showing it on public TV. Mm. So the commentator on this, the main guy, is Manolo Lama. And this guy is very famous here in Madrid. He is uh, has a radio show. He does the play-by-play on radio. You should check out his videos because he's very emotional. But he, one of the things I do like about him, I mean, he is heavily Madrid bias because he does their radio essentially. Mm-hmm. But in this match, he was trying to be as neutral as he could. He loves giving nicknames. Yeah. And he has two here, you know, that he was just constantly saying and that the first one I told you, Javi was Humphrey Bogart. And he just kept <laughs> saying Humphrey Bogart all throughout the game. And the other one was for Puyol and that's Tiburon, which is shark. And he always gives these nicknames all the time and he just keeps using them. Like for example, with Ronaldo, he you know calls him a bicho. So basically, he loves using his nicknames. I love his goal call, mm-hmm. but he is a little bit too much because obviously he's on the Madrid point of view. Yeah, I don't know if you could sense this on the replay when you were watching it. Not not so much, but I definitely have a passion for broadcasters and commentators. So I'm glad we're adding this topic in, and it, and I like hearing you say I'm going to work on my Spanish so I can watch all these games on <laughs> these old sites and and have a better feel for nicknames and being able to understand when they're talking about certain players and what they're, you know, the content of what they're saying exactly. I mean, that's how I originally learned Spanish was watching games when I was a kid. So it does help. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you just start hearing the repeated words and verbs and so forth and and you'll go Uh through. All right, let's dive in into these six goals, which were just a variety of goals all around, right? We got basically almost had everything. So let's go into the first one. It was scored in the fifth minute by Ruud van Nistelrooy. And, uh, you know, this guy had the biggest forehead in world soccer <laughs> at the time. I mean, this guy had the biggest forehead. I mean, this guy, every time I watch him, he was a really good striker at the time. Mm-hmm. Highly touted for the Dutch. Mm-hmm. Comes over from Manchester United and he plays for Real Madrid. He scores the first one. What did you see in this goal? I saw, I saw just absolute confusion at the back. It's a sloppy clearance. It falls right to him. I mean, if he missed that, he probably would have left Madrid that night. It was a golden opportunity. And I, I like or I don't enjoy seeing this, but it you know, seeing Puyol how much of a leader he was, as soon as the ball hit the net, he he's turning around, he's he's looking at guys, they're trying to work on it. Maybe it wasn't very proactive. I, I can't understand what he's saying. He didn't look too pleased, mm-hmm. but a lot this the sense of Puyol's leadership, miss seeing that on the pitch, something that we could have today. But yeah, it was absolute golden opportunity. It's one nil, terrible start to the game for Barca. Especially so early. Yeah. I mean again, this this kind of set the tone for the game, right? Mm-hmm. Because Madrid were lethal in their conversion in this match. I mean, they they were able to make the best of their opportunities. And like you said, confusion in the back. Again, Marquez not coming back full sprint. Puyo was exposed. And Van Nistelrooy did a really good job of just finding the hole and just basically making a nice pass mm-hmm. into the goal, into the wide open net. But then soon after that, Cole, yes. Messi comes 11th minute, ties the match. What did you see in this? Well, there was the build-up on the left side. Like I mentioned earlier, Ronaldinho and Eto'o were playing well together, and they involved Iniesta. And Eto'o kind of brings up this loose ball near the edge of the box, and he finds Messi making this darting run in the box. And the thing I kept listening over and over again, and the, re- the amount of replays they showed on TV of 
just trying to analyze was Messi offside. It, it was very close, but he was absolutely onside. Um, he makes he makes this run in. He's wide open, and he actually the thing I love most about this goal. And this is the first goal for Messi against Real Madrid. He now has over twenty five, but this very first one against Iker Casillas, he doesn't go near post. He goes far post. He just he there's this finesse on that ball. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, because we've seen this type of goal for so long mm-hmm. now. But when you see it on this first one, right, against Madrid, like you said, it's not only the finesse, but it has enough power Mm -hmm. and it's accurate. And Casillas has no chance. And again, like you said, there was chaos in the midfield, really nice uh, through ball on the corner. And again, I think this kind of takes me back to nostalgic corner too. Messi playing right wing, solely right wing, you Mm -hmm. know, having that space. And you can see how the middle was so congested Mm -hmm. and Messi was able to find that spot, comes in perfectly, hits the right angle. And it's tie game 1-1. Now let's go into the next one. Now we're going to – this this was flimsy as we talked about with <laughs> Oligar. So Van Nesteroy gets a penalty uh, goal here in the 13th minute. So again, this is five, fifth minute, 11th minute, 13th minute. It's just bang, bang, bang right off the bat. Yeah. And obviously Guti uh, gets fouled in the box by Oligar. You said it's flimsy. I said it's flimsy. Mm-hmm. But however, the referee was right there. He was literally – I want to say a yard away, two yards away. Yeah. So he had the perfect play on the call, and you, that was going to be very difficult to get that overruled. Yeah, and the thing that sucks most back then, this isn't where there was those um, double penalties. Basically, Oligar gets a yellow here that later proves costly for Barcelona and, and the way the match progresses. But yeah, it's such a soft penalty decision. I, I think that their reaction was pretty fair from Oligar. He was upset. A lot of Barca players were shaking their heads like, no, this can't happen. Because we go down, we equalize five minutes after, and then 90 seconds later, we're staring at another opportunity where we're going to be down and we're going to have to play back into the match. Yeah, it's a good point. And the other thing, too, is this just goes back to defending. Uh, Oligar was late to react because he was chasing. Mm-hmm. And instead of just kind of – there's two ways that you can approach this. You can full sprint – and then get juked like he did and had to trip, or you just kind of pressure him towards the left of the corner. I know this is hindsight. Don't, don't get me wrong. But again, Oligar mm-hmm. was caught between no man's land, and he just made the trip, and Guti took full advantage. Van Nistelrooy slaughtered it past, and again, the forehead has two goals in this. Let's go into the next uh, goal now. This is one of my favorite goals. 28th minute. I mean, look at this. 13th minute, 28th minute. I mean, barely time to, yeah. to take a break. Messi no. scores on this rebound. Well, is that, like we keep saying, Ronaldinho at a 1-2 down the left-hand side. Uh, Ronaldinho's shot is blocked by Casillas, and Messi smashes it into the top of the net. First touch, first time. Um, and it wasn't like it was a wide-open net. Casillas got back up. I think it was Ramos's long, ugly hair that was flying across, too. <laughs> it, someone's greasy hair had a chance, but, I mean, the where Messi put it, and with so much pace, I mean, the ball was either going in the back of the net or someone was leaving on a stretcher. This, this game is 2-2. It's, it's wild at this point. The crowd, the camera angle from the television broadcast is shaking. This is a huge match, and it's only getting bigger and bigger with each time Barcelona go behind. But they kept fighting back. And up until that point, and, and it, it didn't really stop, Barcelona completely controlled this match. There was possession. They were the ones progressing deeper and deeper into the Real Madrid half. I wouldn't say that it was any more pretty and more effective than what Real Madrid were doing, but they were they had the possession here. They were continuing to press. It felt like there was cracks that were going to break, and it was going to be Barca's night at the end of it. When I look at this goal, 
we talked about Messi's first touch mm-hmm. and we've talked about his passing in this already, but again, the technical ability that he has, the ball is bouncing. Mm-hmm. He hits it on a volley, basically, right? Like completely on a line, unsavable, mm-hmm. top net. And to be able to do that and that I was when I was watching that goal, I was like, two percent of professionals are hitting that perfectly like that. Mm-hmm. I mean two percent if that, five percent. You wish you can hit a volley like that, yeah. you know, and the way he roofed it and was able to do that technically was just wow. It was just even the commentators were going nuts of just the, the technical ability and to be able to pull that off. And like you said, Ronaldinho fist pumping after mm-hmm. knowing how important that goal was. Obviously, throughout the game, going to halftime, we get the Oligar red card, you know, on the flimsy foul again. Yep. So he has two yellows. He goes off. And all of a sudden, Madrid is one man up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's still pretty tight going back and forth. And it's funny because, you know, you said earlier, you couldn't tell whose long hair was. <laughs> and I was going to bring up because they all had long yeah. hair. They were all clones of Beckham, essentially, yep. on that team. Gago, uh, Ramos, Gucci, uh, yeah. Salgado, Gucci, yeah. they all had the long hair going and they all looked the same, right? Mm-hmm. So it was very hard to distinguish a little bit, especially knowing uh, you know, where they were on the field. But you know, in the 73rd minute, uh, Madrid gets this opportunity from a free kick on the edge. And again, as we always know, you know in their DNA, you know, our DNA is passing and technical ability. Mm-hmm. Madrid's is physicality and headers is what I think of the first things of of Madrid. And this is no different. Ramos gets this header goal. It was kind of weird because the commentators didn't know if Puyol had a hand in that goal or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But it was clearly Ramos. Ramos hit, I have to give him credit, a really nice heading goal. It beat Valdez in the top left. What did you see in this goal? Yeah, it it was really tough. You know, if that ball didn't go into the net, there was an argument that maybe Puyol even fouled Ramos. It was very physical. I'm glad that there was no decision. I'm also uh, – oh, not, no, I'm not glad that the ball went into the back of the net. But I, I think it was interesting. Ramos, he hits this ball and it, it kind of goes – it's kind of like a flick on basically. And he falls down and he's not facing the goal. And he gets up and he doesn't even know he put the ball in the back of the net. It's the other Madrid <laughs> players running toward him to celebrate that he realizes, oh, I put that in. Um, and, and Puyol looks very – distraught with himself he looks defeated he, he definitely can't believe with the amount of physical pressure he was putting on Ramos in that in the area that that ball somehow ended up in the back of the net and it was it just like Messi's it was very precise the the way that it hit off or um, ticked off the underside of the crossbar into the into the netting not even into the back of the goal area but into the netting it's just, yeah. it was very precise one in a million chance uh barcelona once again down three two yeah and again this you can again if we're gonna predict the future for you know javi iniesta we can predict with ramos mm-hmm. he is an incredible header he the way he attacks that ball he just has a sixth sense of anticipation mm-hmm. and obviously we've seen in champions league finals and all these things that these moments that are crucial and again the type of header he did with the back flick essentially I'm doing this on video right now for you. Back <laughs> and to the right, right? Like it's, a lot, yeah. it's a lot better technique, I'll tell you uh, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was able to connect and just, you know, just find the corner, and that's a really difficult type of header. Mm-hmm. Um, enough praising of Ramos on this, all right? Well, I, uh, it, let's go into... We, we could, if go ahead. before, we could. We could talk about that celebration. Oh, okay, go ahead. Yes. I mean, disgusting. Yeah, yeah. He gets up and he does this little <laughs> prance off of the FIFA video game series, and it's just... I think this is where it all started. You and I looked this up beforehand. This was Ramos's second season in Madrid. Um, I think from here on out, he's pretty much solidified himself as a yeah. starter and into that into that side. So 
this was maybe the start of our hatred for him. I mean, just the, the <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it was disgusting. He had so much. Uh, I can't even. I don't want to get into it. I can't. Yeah, I understand it because, you know, when I was watching this match, it just brings those feelings because it's the antithesis mm-hmm. of our team to a T, yep. right? Like just the long hair, the physicality of these players, yep. the way they look, the white uniform. It's just Ugh. like all those things put together. This kind of – it's all that put together. Mm-hmm. Well, let me bring it back to you with some joy. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the final goal with Messi in the, obviously in the 91st minute. When yes. You know, and it was funny on the replay. They kept showing shots of the the two presidents, right? Mm-hmm. And you could see Laporte was just <laughs> biting his teeth, and the other guys smiling and all. Yeah. And Madrid is you know minutes away mm-hmm. from getting the three points of the camp now, winning both Clasicos. And this moment happens when I first saw this live. I just couldn't believe what I saw. Mm-hmm. The angle that Messi was able to hit on this beat Casillas far post, and the other thing too. Beating Ramos, which yep. is, you know that the other be- the best part of it. Yep, Ronaldinho finds him top of the area. He, he makes a run into the box. Me- Messi picked up the ball very more central. He wasn't on the right wing. He finishes the shot in the left side, uh, left hand side of the penalty area. He beats Helguera. He beats Ramos, and he again goes far post, strong boot, left foot, beating Casillas again. I mean, it was Chef's kiss. That that's how that goal yeah. was. <laughs> Love it, Chef's kiss. The other thing, too, later on in this match, Messi did float in the middle. Mm-hmm. This is what created this chaos in this goal. Again, I was talking earlier how he was more on the right wing, but when they became a man down, he was definitely more in the floating part, helping out as much as possible. And in this part, he was able to break free. And again, for example, I'm always comparing Ramos and Puyol or Ramos and Piquet mm-hmm. and defending and the way they defend. Ramos is always going to ground. Mm-hmm. And not using the right angles. And in this moment, he should have maybe just kept running with him. And I think maybe would have thrown Messi off a little bit. Yeah. But that 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 finish is just absolutely brilliant. Chef's kiss done. And the beginning of the legend, yeah. essentially. Yeah. You listen. If you go back and find the I – can't, I can't find the whole entire match in English commentating. But there's these highlights and I don't remember who the commentator was. But he, he deems it as soon as the ball is in the back of the net and – uh, Ronaldinho's on top of Messi, or Eto, maybe it was, celebrating on top of him on his back. He says, this will be remembered as the Lionel Messi match. He equalizes for 10-man Barcelona. Remember the name. You'll hear it for the next 10 years. And I'd say he was wrong about just that last part. It's not 10 years. It'll it'll be a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And sooner than later. Yeah. Also, the other, you know, the other thing, too, that's interesting with the sliding doors type of thing that happens is that Capello back in Juventus his last year wanted to sign Messi did, right, yeah. after the the thing and then here he sees him full on in person mm-hmm. basically 2 years later yeah. doing this moment this feat right because again you know it's one thing to score a goal in injury time when a man down you know you draw this up when you're a kid mm-hmm. but to have a hat trick to do that as your first hat trick ever as a professional yep. against your biggest rival i mean that is just completely bonkers yeah the eternal rival and this wasn't you know an early season classico this was the juiciest one of the year probably of the last three years up until that point and it's it's like barca were dangling messi in front of capello you know you wanted him after the joan camper were insulted you only you wanted a loan you weren't going to get him in the first place but the fact that you're only going to want to loan him you know just dangling in front of him going this is this guy is going to ruin your life you know He's going to make your job hell. <laughs> definitely, definitely. 
And again, the, this match was really, really entertaining to watch again. Mm-hmm. You know, some matches when we do the rewatchables and some other classic matches I watch, it's difficult just because maybe the pace or the lack of skill. Yeah. But this one had everything. I was I was watching it today when I was uh, talking with some friends and so forth, and I just couldn't take my eye away because the action was so back and forth, and it was just really entertaining all around. It was. It, I will agree with you. The pace was a lot slower in this, and it, it is not this tiki taka football that we like. There was some spurts of it from Barcelona where it was beautiful passing and movement and triangles and one twos, but for the most part, this was kind of a scrappy game again. The tempers were lost pretty early. It was back and forth. It could have gone either way, obviously, as we know from the scoreline. But for Barca to fight back each time, you know, they did it in front of their own crowd. And the man who gets them there is 19-year-old, just breaks through. (laughs) You know, he's on every Spanish newspaper after that for probably up until today even. That's a good point. Do you have any uh, last talking points about this match? No, I don't have any last talking points. I'll ask you this. Did you, um, by chance, read Sid Lowe's report on that match the day after it happened? No, I didn't. I'll send it to you, and I'll I'll find a way to put it on our Instagram page so others can can check it out too. It's funny because, you know, he's saying it in such... And I'm a big fan of Sid Lowe and the TSFP guys, but, you know, there's such this way of innocence of... No one in the world knows what this little man's about to do. Yeah. No one knows. Yeah. And and Sid Lowe, you know, you're just reading his writing. You're like, oh, yeah, this is back when, you know, no one praises him. No one looked at the ground he walked on and worshipped it. You know, it, yeah. it's, this is this is the beginning. I mean, he's still considered a rookie. Yeah. You know, this is the thing. Like the rookie carries the socks of the players, essentially, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the rookie hazing, you know, yeah. and and that's essentially where we're at in that moment, because. I mean, everyone knew he had the talent because coming through La Masia and everything. But to do it on this stage, it cannot be emphasized enough. To do it on this stage, to do it in this moment, a man down, again, you look back at it. And it's just funny because in the commentating of this game, they keep referring back to him if he would have not been injured. Mm-hmm. I can't, I'm not sure if he's going to be a star. One of the commentators said he's too small for a long-term career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone was kind of wrong on that. So. Yeah. Hindsight is well, is very valuable, and I don't think anybody <laughs> could have really protected this unless you were wearing Barca colors or you were practicing and training with this man. Definitely, I mean that's that's what it goes down to. Rijkaard, he could have benched him mm-hmm. and waited, you know, like what normal coaches did, but he obviously saw the talent mm-hmm. and obviously in training and took that chance mm-hmm. and rode that wave. You know, like I said, we talked about it earlier. If he wasn't injured for those eighteen games and just played three more. Mm-hmm. That possibly, like you said, they had such a great record with those three. They possibly could have got three more points out of that. And Messi doubled his goal take from that season that night. He had three going in. He leaves with six. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, that does it. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll have more episodes of classic FC Barcelona matches coming out over the weeks to come. Until next time, Visco Barça. Cheers, culés. Sports Social Podcast Network.